Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Well, if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. The Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes in Ecclesiastes chapter number one. Ecclesiastes in chapter number one. We're beginning a brand new Sunday school series this morning going over the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes. Now, Earlier in our church services, we had just gone over the life and ministry of King Solomon, and we were able to trace historically about Solomon's life. As we now introduce the book of Ecclesiastes, we will do a little bit of a recap over Solomon's life, because you cannot separate the human penmen from the book that was used, or that they were used to pen under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For now, if you don't mind, look with me in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter number one. The book of Ecclesiastes in chapter number one, and notice with me in verse number one. Ecclesiastes chapter one in verse one. The Bible says this, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit a man of all his labor of which he had taken under the sun? And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark, if you don't mind, two different phrases that we find. In verse number two, we have the phrase vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities. And in verse number three, we have the phrase at the very end of verse three, under the sun. Vanity of vanities. And then we have the phrase under the sun. And with this, we're going to examine an empty king. We're going to look at Solomon's life in the context of where he's at and see the historical context of this book and really see a light shining upon this with these two phrases in mind, vanity of vanities and under the sun. Now inside of the heart of the Bible in the middle part of the section, we have what is called the poetical books. These poetical books will deal with Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Each one of these books are deal with the heart issues of man. Each one of them give a reflection of man's heart and give a reflection of the life that we live, a very practical, relatable idea. The title Ecclesiastes just simply means preacher. That what is happening is that King Solomon, as he is looking at the end of his life, is preaching a message. He's giving an observation about life from where he stands and where he's looking. Now, let's just catch up on what's about King Solomon. King Solomon, of course, was the son of King David. David was the man after God's own heart, and he had trained and equipped and prepared Solomon to succeed in not only being king, but also becoming <coughs> a follower in his own personal relationship with the Lord. Now, as Solomon, <coughs> excuse me, 
as Solomon had started off, he started off right. He started off having a personal relationship with God, a powerful relationship with God, that he spoke with God, that God worked with him. God appeared to him twice. And from the very beginning, it looked like everything was going to go well. God had given him a blank paycheck to say, whatever you ask for, you'll get. What do you want? And Solomon said, the thing I need the most is I need wisdom to be able to rule the people that you set me steward over. I don't have enough sense to get out of the rain. I need wisdom. I need discernment. I need this idea here. And God said, because you didn't ask for riches, because you didn't ask for fame, because you didn't ask for influence, you just asked for wisdom. I'm going to give you all of those things, including wisdom. And so Solomon had a privilege like none other to be the wisest man who ever lived. He had a great influence and had established the kingdom to be the most important kingdom of that region during his day. So much so that people, monarchs from other kingdoms would put great expenses to come see Solomon and they would walk off by saying the half has not yet been told. But there came a time in Solomon's life where his heart began to slowly creep away from God until finally he got to the place where he began to love many strange women. We defined that word strange before. That word strange doesn't mean that she's cross-eyed and that she's goofy looking, but it carries the idea that she does not belong to him. And he ended up marrying 1,000 women. That's a lot. All at the same time too. That was just a big mess. And so each one of these ladies had an influence on Solomon and they began to introduce to Solomon their gods. And it got to the place where Solomon had began to follow these other gods, forsaking the God who blessed him, the God who spoke to him, the God he was raised with. He forsook that all. And now he's at the end of his life. He's a successful king. But he looks back at the end of his life as an older man who's now lived these last 10, 15, 20 years away from the Lord. And as he's looking back, making observation, remember, he still was the wisest man who ever lived. And he's making a wise observation. He's saying vanity of vanities. The word vanity carries the idea of empty. And so what he's saying is empty, empty. When I look back, all I see is empty, empty. Then we have the phrase under the sun. The phrase under the sun is a poetical way of saying without regard to God. So he says, as I look back and I've lived these last 10, 15 years without regard to God, without God in my thoughts, without planning for God, anticipating God, searching for God. I just lived without God in my life. I look back and the conclusion I draw is that under the sun without God my life is empty, empty, empty. Here we have an empty king. If you don't mind, let's examine this passage and the context a little bit more. And let's learn about King Solomon. One of the things that we know about King Solomon to start off with is that he had everything. He had everything. Look with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse number 10. Ecclesiastes chapter number two. And notice what it says in verse 10. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, 
I kept them not from me. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiceth in all my labor. This was the portion of my labor. What it does discuss inside of the King, uh, Ecclesiastes is that Solomon here had everything he could ever want. If he wanted pleasure, he got pleasure. He wanted entertainment, he had entertainment. Not only that, Solomon was so rich, we had covered that before in the life and ministry of Solomon, that he had equivalent to $2 billion in revenue every year. What could you do with $2 billion? So he didn't suffer because of the lack of money. He didn't suffer from the lack of entertainment and the lack of joy. In addition, Solomon was brilliant. He would not just simply study animals he became a zoologist. He just didn't study botany. He became a botanist. He became a master of every field that he came to. So he had intellect. He had influence. He had power. He had everything that you could want materialistically in this life. And yet he looks back and says, empty, empty. Vanity of vanities. My life is so empty. But Solomon, you see how much money you have? I mean, you have so much money, you could Scrooge McDuck this thing and swim in it all that you cultural reference. You could, you could swim in that money all you want. You have enough money to fill in pools. He says, it's empty. It's empty. But Solomon, you have as many women as you want. You have a full harem full, all of them wives. You get to pick and choose. If you don't want to hang out with this one, you could go hang out with this one. Empty. Empty. Solomon, you're the king of the most powerful nation on earth at this time. All the other nations pay tribute to you. All the other nations travel thousands of miles to get your wisdom, to seek an audience with you. Empty. Empty. Solomon, you have great intellect. There's nobody who is smart as you on this earth at this time. He says, I, I know. Empty empty. Here's a man at the end of his life who had everything. He had everything. Anything that you could imagine. Intellect, power, influence, desires, entertainment, anything you can imagine he had access to. And yet as he looks at the end of his life, empty, empty, empty. Which brings me to the second thing here. His life was empty. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. Here's a man who had everything that you wanted and his life was empty. Have you ever felt emptiness? Will you look at your life and say, it just doesn't satisfy. It's, it's not enough. I, people can get to that place where they say, there's just such an emptiness. I speak with people all the time. And I speak to rich people. I speak to poor people. As a police chaplain for 13 police departments, I show up to a lot of suicides. 
and suicides are not regulated to the poor neighborhoods or the rich neighborhoods. And when we start talking with them and start talking with the, 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 the um, grieving friends and family around them, they said, I can't understand. He had this. She had this. She had this going for her. They had this going on. Why would they do that? It comes up to the place where their life was empty. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. Emptiness, emptiness. Life lived without regard to God. Life lived separate from God. Life lived where you don't even consider God. The conclusion of the whole matter is that it's going to become empty. Your life is just going to become empty. Why? The third thing, nothing on earth could satisfy. Nothing on earth could satisfy. The phrase vanity of vanities or vanity in some form or another in these 12 chapters shows up over 30 times. 25 times this phrase under the sun appears. This idea shows uh, the literal idea of the phrase under the sun carries the idea of earthly things that come from this earth. May I tell you the things from this earth cannot satisfy. You know, we live in a land of plenty. We live in a land that if you own a vehicle, you are on the top 10% of wealth in the world. We as Americans cannot even comprehend how poor the rest of the world honestly is. To be able to see the shanties, to be able to see how they live, to be able to see what they survive with. We are indeed spoiled people. I had a preacher friend of mine, I think he went to the island of Haiti and he was asked to preach. And uh, every day they gave him a bowl of rice with a couple chunks of chicken into it. And the first day it was nice, you know, oh cool, I'm eating like the natives are and eating away. The second day, okay, that's nice. Third day, eh, it's kind of bland. But by the fourth and fifth day, he was kind of resentful. Is, Don't they have something else to give me this rice and, and, and this bowl of chicken? I meant, is there something else to eat? And he was starting to get a little bit, you know, in the flesh a little bit. I meant, living in a place with land of plenty. You go to Walmart and get whatever you want. If you have a craving, you just go drive down to where all the restaurants are, to the fast food, to the junk food. I go to the gas station, quick trips. All the rest of the world is just missing out because they don't have quick trips. But the, um, he went through this and he was just in his own spirit. He was just aggravated a little bit. Well, the last day of the meeting, the preacher, <laughs> pastor of that local church in Haiti stood up and said, we are so glad to have our guest preacher here. And by the way, I want to thank everyone who gave up their monthly meal to make sure that the preacher had something to eat. You see, those people in Haiti are so poor that for a monthly meal, they would get a couple chunks of chicken. They had to rice all the rest of the day, but every once in a while, they would have the special privilege. They would save up to have these chunks of chicken. And what happened is that each family gave up their chunks of chicken to give to the preacher so he would have something special while he was there. That preacher felt like hanging his head in shame. To be honest, 
We are such a spoiled people. And yet, with all the riches that we have and all the access that we have, they don't satisfy. Oh, we live in a land where we have so much and it makes us less satisfied. So many times you could look at the refrigerator and just lean on it for 30 minutes just trying to find something to eat and you just went to the grocery store. To have the discussion with your wife, hey, where do you want to eat? I don't know, where do you want to eat? How about this? Well, I don't feel like that today. Well, how about this? I don't know. How about this? Eh, well, I don't want this either. You know, and we have these discussions. We have so much and none of it satisfies. We get to the place, oh man, we've had Taco Bell just too many times this month. We just have to have something else. Oh, if I have to go to McDonald's one more time. We have a land of plenty. And if you don't like it, you just drive to Quick Trip and you go grab whatever you want that's ready. You go grab a snack, go ice cream. We have so much. And then you take it home and say, well, I really didn't want this cupcake that I just spent $7 for. We, our whole lives, we have access. We have so much. And yet, we're so empty and so unsatisfied and the thing is is that we could be satisfied life is more than stuff but stuff does not satisfy people try to fill in that emptiness inside of their lives they fill it with drugs they fill it with food. They fill it with alcohol. They fill it with companionship. They fill it with this and that. They fill it with their hobby. They, fill, they try to do everything they can to fill in that emptiness. And just for a moment, it may just seem a minute of pleasure. And then it goes away. And you're still left empty. This is the conclusion that the king is making. This king who has everything and anything. He has everything available to him. He has power, influence. And yet, nothing on this earth can satisfy. Which brings us to one more thing. We were created for eternity. We weren't created to live in this world, period, stop, done. We're here for a little while because we were created as eternal beings to live with God forever. And it is that relationship with God that truly satisfies. Because nothing on this earth can satisfy. It's just temporary. And even if somehow it did, it's all going to get burned away anyways. But our relationship with the Lord, that's what will matter. Our relationship with the Lord can give you a peace that passeth all understanding. This peace that when people said, how can you be so peaceful at this time? How, how can you still smile? How can you be so calm? Where does that come from? That comes from a relationship with the Lord. There's something different. You can have absolutely nothing and have a relationship with the Lord and life can be worth living because God gives it that value. God gives it that that satisfaction that you can't find in ice cream or companionship or chocolate. God can give life worth meaning. We know that we were created for eternity.
Notice with me, if you don't mind, 1 John chapter number 2. The Bible speaks about this a little bit more. 1 John, towards the end of your Bible. The book of 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter two, notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 15. First John chapter two and verse 15, it says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world. We'll go on in a second, but notice this. Here are the three things that we all have to deal with. The idea of the lust of the flesh. That's the desire to have something. The lust of the eyes is the desire to see something. The lust of the uh, pride of life is the desire to be something. By the way, that's all that the world can offer you. The world can try to dangle up something. Oh man, that would be nice to have. And you have it and it doesn't satisfy. How do we know? Because we have something called garage sales. There was one time that you had something you just had to have. And you spent a certain amount to have it. And then it goes into your closet. It goes in your attic. You decide to clean up things. And this one thing that at one time you just had to have, you just now sell for pennies on the dollar. I don't need it no more. It didn't satisfy me. Uh, If it satisfied me, I'd still be using it. It wouldn't be put in the attic. It wouldn't be put away in a box. It didn't didn't satisfy me. The lust of the uh, flesh. There are certain things that we can desire and say our flesh just wants it. We could have the lust of the eyes. We see it and now we're craving it. We see something like a brand new truck. Oh, the neighbor's got a brand new truck. I need a brand new truck. Oh, the neighbor's got a brand new TV. I need a brand new TV. And you can look at someone's stuff and try to get it for yourself and still end up where it doesn't satisfy you. It wasn't as great as you thought it was going to be. The pride of life, the desire to be something. If we are to be honest, all of us want some sort of recognition. All of us want someone to say you were great. At the end of our lives, we want someone to say good words to us at our funeral. We want to leave some sort of legacy, some sort of good works, something. We don't want to go off and not be remembered at all. Some of us may have more (laughs) inhibitions and aspirations and ambitions that we say, well, I just don't want to be a regular person. I want to take over the world. I want to be president. I want to do this. I want people to recognize how great I am. But you could try to reach those goals and find out that they don't satisfy either. All this world has the offer, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they will not satisfy. But look at the next verse in 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter 2, we saw love not the world, and we say all that is in the world in verse 16, verse 17, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, 
but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You see, we were not created for this world to stop, period, be done. We were created for eternity. We were created to to have a life that affects not just this world, but the world yet to come. And that comes from having a personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, first of all, it's recognizing that I'm a sinner. And by the way, we are all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says that because we've sinned, we deserve to be separated from a holy, righteous God. In fact, we deserve to be separated from him for all eternity. And of course, that will never satisfy if we are separated from God and separated from the source of contentment. But the good news is, is that God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus, robed in flesh, came and dwelt on this earth with you and I, on the same earth that you and I lived, with the same temptations, the same troubles, the same heartbreaks. Then he died on the cross being perfect to pay for our price, to pay our wage so we could be with God forever. They buried him on a borrowed tomb and on the third day he rose again to live forevermore. When he rose again the third day, it proved two things. It proved that first of all, that Jesus was indeed God. The second thing that it proved is that God was satisfied with the payment that was made upon the cross. And that all that is left is that each one of us must individually personally accept the Lord Jesus Christ to be our Savior. When that happens, Jesus Christ, who is God, will allow the Holy Spirit, who is God, to come and live within our heart. And that emptiness that we've been having for so long, that been trying to fill up, that God can fill that emptiness. He could fill that loneliness. He could feel that despair. He could fill it up and we could be satisfied. And as long as we continue to keep our eyes on God, as we continue to obey what God's given us to do, he can give us a life worth living now and then also have a life worth living in the life to come. The most horrible thing that can happen is someone to waste their life on this earth trying to do everything they can to fill in that void and never fill it. And then die and go to an awful place called hell to be separated from God and have a whole eternity full of waste. I can't imagine a worse thing than someone who is unsatisfied on this earth and then eternity away from God in the next life. No wonder Solomon, as he looks back in his life, he has wasted the last 10 15 years of his life. And as he looks back and he says, as I've listed this last 15, 20 years away from God, I look back and the only conclusion I can make if I'm being honest is vanity of vanities. Everything under the sun is vanity. Empty, empty. Life lived without regard to God is empty. Remember the title of Ecclesiastes is the preacher. This carries the idea that Solomon here is declaring a message for everyone to hear. Solomon is the wisest man who had lived. And here is some knowledge that he is dropping on people. Wisdom he is giving to people. He says, listen, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. 
In fact, let's look at the conclusion of the whole matter. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Solomon, (laughs) looking back at the end of his life. And if anybody is qualified to give this conclusion, it would be Solomon. He had wisdom, he had wealth, he had everything. He is being honest as he looks back. And he's recognizing, my life is so empty without God. Without thinking about God, I look back and my life has been a waste. Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment, which every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. This is the conclusion of the whole matter. He says, obey God, fear God, love God, because there is an eternity to think about that you are going to stand before God into judgment for everything that you did in your body. And you're going to be evaluated. Was my life worth living? Or is it just going to be a waste? He says, this is a thing to consider, a thing to look at. This is the message for everyone. Well, can there be a happy ending to this? Is this just doom and gloom? Is this what we're all destined for? Well, notice someone else who decided to take his life and live it to the fullest. Turn with me to the book of Philippians. And let's see what the Apostle Paul says towards the end of his life. The Apostle Paul had started his life living without regard to God, then came to know Christ as his personal Savior and made a decision he was going to live his life following after God. Notice what now the Apostle Paul has to say in the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter 3. And notice with me in verse 8. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, it says this. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Paul says, instead of trying to get more things from this world, I'm willing to set aside all things of this world that I may know him. He says, the conclusion of the whole matter for Paul, that I may know him. I want to know him more. This is what's going to satisfy. This is what's going to work. This is what's going to matter for eternity. This is what makes a life worth living. This is what makes life complete and whole. The knowledge of the Lord. The never-ending pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. That makes a life worth living. This is the conclusion of the whole matter. And throughout the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, we're going to watch a broken king, an empty king, looking back and making different observations about his life. Not everyone else's life, his life. 
from the time that he lived without regard to God. And he's writing down honest evaluations, honest observations, and then a conclusion that life lived without regard to God is empty. Empty. Dear friend, as we talk about this emptiness, is that something that rings true in your life? Do you find that your life is empty? You find things don't satisfy? And you just go from day to day just trying to survive but not thriving? May I say that the Lord has much more for you than this? He wants you to have a life and not just life, life more abundant. God wants to give you a life worth living that at the end of your days you could say it is worth it. It is worth it all. And it only comes, there is no other way, it only comes from a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus, your Savior, it'd be my great privilege to take the Bible and to show you from God's word how you can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven. But beyond that, you may be saved and still have an empty life. We have a wonderful God who's able to fulfill that life, and we'd be glad to show you how you can have a life worth living. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.